Good morning to all of you. As Francis said, we're starting a new series today in the book of Psalms called Prayers of the Heart. And uh, that will take us up to the end of July. And well, who knows what kind of situation we'll be in by then. Um, But the book of Psalms is just a great place to go in times of uncertainty, in times of confusion, distress, fear, uh, despair. And, And those are the kinds of emotions that many people are experiencing during this time, particularly, of course, those who have been most affected uh, by this, maybe maybe those who have lost a loved one in, in distressing circumstances or who are facing health worries or financial worries. But actually, I, I think even if we haven't experienced those things, many people have said, and I would, I would include myself in this, that, that our emotions are generally more up and down at this time and, and, more, and closer to the surface than usual, and whether that's frustration or depression or anger or, or anxiety, And it's simply because of the sheer abnormality of the situation that we find ourselves in at the moment. And so the question for all of us is, is, well, how do you process those emotions? How do you how do you cope with them? What do you do with those feelings? And people will handle it in different ways. So some will just try to suppress emotions, pretend they're not there and pretend that everything is okay. Um, the problem with that, though, is, of course, it's it's just not very honest and it's unhealthy and there'll probably be some sort of eruption in the future that results. But then on the other extreme, other people, far from suppressing their emotions, they treat their feelings as if they're sovereign. That it's all about feelings. It's all about being in touch with your feelings and expressing yourself to whoever will listen, venting your frustration or your anger or your depression and and probably firing lots of bullets at those around you in the process. As if your feelings are the most important thing, as if they are sovereign, the sum of who you are. And of course, that's not the case either. Neither of these extremes are particularly helpful or good ways of dealing with our emotions. But the Psalms show us a much better way, much better than suppression of feelings or the sovereignty of feelings. And that is to pray our feelings, to pray them, to process them in the presence of God. Because, you know, the whole spectrum of human emotion is reflected in the book of Psalms. No matter what season of life you're, you're going through at, at the time, you will find a psalm that reflects exactly what you are feeling. And so we're going to be going through some of these psalms over these, these next few weeks and, and seeing, well, how do we do this? How do we, how do we pray our emotions to God? How do we pray our tears or pray our despair or our fears or our, our loneliness? How do we pray those things? How do we process them? in the presence of God. And today we're talking about doubt. So in, in Psalm 73 that we just had read out to us, the writer of the psalm is clearly struggling with significant doubts about God. And he's, he's praying those doubts. He's praying them to God. And he says in verses one and two, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, by which he means those who follow, who follow God. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And it's like he's saying, I know that God is good, or at least I thought I knew that. But then I found myself in a situation where I was really doubting that. I was, I was teetering on the edge of losing that, that belief, losing that faith. I was teetering on the edge of a precipice where I felt my foot slipping and, and I was losing my foothold. And the ground under my feet suddenly didn't feel as solid as it did before. And he was experiencing doubt. 
that, that was causing him to question the goodness of God. And we'll see in a few minutes what was behind those doubts, what was causing those doubts. But what is doubt? I, I guess we're all familiar with, with doubt, but, but what is it? I guess doubt is it's a kind of a disorientation that happens in us. Or if we imagine the, the psalmist climbing up a slope or climbing up a mountain, as the, the language would seem to suggest, the language of footholds and, and feet slipping, it, it's a kind of a dizziness happening or, or a vertigo that goes on where your eyes or your senses are telling you something that contradicts or, or seems to contradict what you believe to be true in a way that you can't quite process you find yourself in a kind of limbo caught between two positions between what you believe and, and, and what you see that that's what doubt is so if the psalmist believes that the foothold is secure but then he feels his feet slipping well then he's going to start doubting how secure this foothold actually is now i remember a few years ago when i was in chicago and uh, i went up the willis tower it used to be called the sears tower very well known uh, building. It used to be for, for a time the tallest building in the world. It's not that anymore, but it certainly is a very, very tall building. And I went up to the observation deck and I, I think that's on the 103rd floor or something like that. It's very, very high up. And, um, you know, up there, you've got fantastic views, 360 degree views of Chicago. But but what is also there are these, I think they're called sky boxes or, or a sky deck. And basically these are these glass cubes that are jutting out from the side of the building that you can step into. And it's got a glass floor as well as glass ceilings and uh, glass walls and a glass ceiling. So it basically feels like you're, you're floating, except that you're 103 floors up above street level. And um, as I, I went to step into this box, I guess um, I was you know, maybe full of bravado while I was queuing for it. But as I went to actually do it and step in, I, I started to experience some quite severe doubts um, now, I absolutely believed it to be safe because I'd seen lots of people going in and out of these things. And, and I believed that they would have tested them before sticking them on the side of a building. But as soon as I looked down, my eyes were telling me a different story. And um, I felt a bit dizzy. I felt a bit disorientated. Now, I did it, but a lot more. I, I kind of stepped in a lot more tentatively than I had imagined I would. And I had to overcome the doubts that I was feeling in order to go into this, this sky deck, this sky box. Now, the psalmist is experiencing doubts about God, a kind of a spiritual vertigo because of what he was seeing and experiencing that seemed to contradict what he believed to be true of God. And, and maybe you've experienced doubts just like that. And maybe you're experiencing doubts like that right now in our present circumstances because of because of what you see around you maybe you're you're questioning god you're questioning god's god's character what you believe about god because of the things that you see going on in your life or around you right now listen everybody has doubts you're not alone you're not the only person to experience that feeling of doubt every christian every christian experiences doubts at some point or probably at several points in fact if you think about it doubt is really only something a believer can experience because you can only doubt something that you believed in to start with everybody experiences doubts now i don't say that to to dismiss doubts as if we should say they're unimportant no no that's not the case at all but neither should we let our doubts paralyze us because actually it's often in wrestling through our doubts that you know, as we process them with God, that as we see in this psalm, 
that we actually come to a stronger position of faith. To the classic example of that would be Jesus' disciple, Thomas, who, who became known as Doubting Thomas. You know, he, he refused to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead just based on the testimony of his friends. And actually, it seems even just seeing Jesus for himself wasn't enough. He had to put his finger where the nails had gone in, in the holes, and, and his hand in his side where the, where the spear had gone in. But once his doubts were overcome, Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And that, in that statement, he goes further than anyone else has up to this point in declaring just the truth of who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. That is a major statement for a Jew to make to a man standing in front of him. The greatest confession of faith and of belief comes from the greatest doubter. And so it's important not to let doubts paralyze you, but it's also important not to just dismiss them out of hand and ignore them because you actually only come to a sense of certainty and and faith through wrestling with doubts. Experiencing doubt is a really important part of strengthening your faith. Now, of course, there can be all sorts of things that, that bring doubts. So for the psalmist, it's something that I guess many of us would resonate with. This is something that causes doubt for many people, and it's injustice and suffering. Injustice and suffering. So in verse 3, he says that it's, it's when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he, he then goes on in the next few verses to, to describe how he sees that happening. He sees ruthless, arrogant, wicked people who are prospering and, and seemingly living a carefree life. That's not necessarily actually the case, but that's how he saw it. It's how he, how he perceived it. They were prospering and living this carefree life. But then I guess that he had witnessed that all through his life. As, as we all have, we see arrogant, ruthless people prospering. So what is it that particularly brings this doubt? What, what is it that, that brings this to a head, to this, this crisis point in his life? Well, I think it's, it's the fact that his life, his own life, starts to be directly affected by this. So he sees the wicked prospering, you know, those who don't even attempt to live a good life. They don't even attempt to live for God or to, have a, uh, to be pure in heart, as he says in verse 1. And at the same time, those who are trying to live for God, those who are trying to live a good life, they're suffering and they're being oppressed. And that includes him. It includes the psalmist himself. This is what he says in verse 13 and 14. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence, essentially saying, what's the point in in living for you when all day long I have been plagued? I have been punished every morning. So clearly he's experiencing this injustice himself in some way. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how he's experiencing it, but he seems to be experiencing injustice and suffering himself. And that is what is particularly bringing the doubt. Because doubt is never just an abstract thought process. You don't just think your way into doubts. It's part of the process, but it's not the whole of it. It's based on what he sees and on what he experiences in his own life and in the world around him that seems to go against what he believes about God. Because faith is not opposed to reason. Many people think that it is. Actually, I think the opposite is true. I think that faith is actually the outcome of good and proper reason. If that wasn't the case, nobody would ever get on an aeroplane, for example. Because you look at this thing, your eyes look at this 
this very big, very heavy object that is made of metal. And you think, well, that, how does that fly? That can't possibly stay up in the air. But you can reason in such a way, whether it's through your knowledge of the laws of aerodynamics or more likely just through having seen it happen successfully on, on many occasions, you can reason in such a way that, that actually you can take a, a reasonable step of faith and get on the plane and trust that it, it is going to stay in the air. And that's what faith is. That's what true faith is. It's not blind. It's, it's actually very reasoned. And without having the time to, to go into it here, uh, I think it can actually be very easily argued that faith in God is a perfectly reasonable place to end up. It's a perfectly reasonable position to arrive in. And actually, it's far more reasonable than to not believe in God. I think that's a far greater leap of faith. Faith is not opposed to reason. But as the, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, we walk by faith and not by sight. He opposes faith with sight. In other words, faith is, is, is when you hold on to what you believe in spite of what you see, in spite of how things appear to be. And when, when personal experience of something makes what your mind knows to feel unreal to your heart, this doesn't feel true anymore because something's changed in, in my experience. And like I said before, you may be experiencing doubts right now. Maybe, maybe you have lost somebody very dear to you during this time and, and in difficult circumstances. And it's just caused you to, to question God's love. Maybe you're facing financial difficulties and it's caused you to question God's provision. Or maybe it's just the whole situation that we're in at the moment. It's caused you to question God's sovereignty. You know, is God really in control here? C.S. Lewis, who's a very well-known Christian writer of the last century, he he experienced doubts about the goodness of God when his wife went through a lot of pain and suffering with cancer. And he wrote this. Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all, but so this is what God is really like. And, and I guess many of us can resonate with with that feeling, that, that questioning of God's character at times because of what happens in our life. Everybody has doubts at some point. The question is, what do we do with them? What do we do with them? What do we do when we experience doubt that is threatening to, to paralyze us or to knock us off course in our life? Well, I think there are a couple of things that come out of this psalm that are helpful here. And the first of those is that we need to learn to doubt our doubts. We should doubt our doubts. So in verse three, the psalmist says, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He envied. He, his motives were not pure. And he realizes this with, with the benefit of hindsight. He looks back and he sees that envy was involved, that his, his own attitude, his own perspective, his own, his own uh, perception of, of his situation were as much a part of the problem as the reality of his situation. I mean, would he have been so bothered by the injustice if he himself wasn't suffering or not getting what he saw others getting? And I'm not sure that our motives can ever be completely pure when it comes to doubt. And so why wouldn't we doubt our doubts? For the psalmist, it wasn't so much a case of, I, I can't believe in a God who would let this happen as I can't believe in a God who would let this happen 
to me. So so our motives are never pure. So why wouldn't we doubt our doubts? Why would we allow the doubt to become more real than the thing that we believed before? And so to continue the example from from C.S. Lewis, after his wife died, he spent some time wondering why that event caused him to doubt God and to doubt his faith. And he wrote this, feelings and feelings and feelings. Let me try thinking instead. From the rational point of view, what new factor has her death introduced into the problem of the universe? What grounds has it given me for doubting all that I believe? I knew already that these things and worse happened daily. I'd been warned not to reckon on worldly happiness. We were even promised sufferings. They were part of the program and I accepted it. I've got nothing that I hadn't bargained for. Of course, it is different when the thing happens to oneself and not to others and in reality, not in imagination. He knew that the logic that led him to faith in the first place, well, it was still the same. There was no new information that had been added. But his perception of that had changed because of the pain, understandably, the pain that he was feeling. But the reality hadn't changed. And so he was able to doubt his doubts, the doubts that he was experiencing. And then something else that that helped the psalmist to doubt his doubts was to look at the reality for those that he was envying. So verse 18 says, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. And so he's saying, well, yeah, sure, it felt like my feet were slipping. But look at the ground they're standing on. That's far worse. Look at their foundations. Look at look at their footholds. Everybody has footholds in their life that they're looking to. They're relying on to hold them up, to hold up the the weight of their life. Everybody puts faith in something. Everybody does. And as I said before, you know, I think it just takes massive faith to reject Jesus. I mean, think about it. That really is quite a big gamble for something you can't prove not to be true. Because if, if what I believe about Jesus is true, and clearly I am convinced of it through both through personal experience, but also through looking and seeing where where the evidence points. But if it's true that there is a God who loves you, a God who created the world, who loves you and who through Jesus, through through his own son, offers you eternal life, offers you rescue, offers you eternal salvation, but you reject him. And, and by the way, to not be actively for him is to reject him. There's no There's no middle ground. So for you to reject him, you stand to lose an awful lot. I mean, you stand to lose more than you could ever lose in this life. And that's a massive display of faith to do that, to reject Jesus. But I wouldn't say it's a particularly reasoned faith. Anyway, the the psalmist sees that if my faith has a problem because I believe in a good God and yet I see injustice and suffering, actually their faith has a much, much bigger problem, a far worse problem. Because without belief in a good God, what basis is there anyway for understanding injustice and morality and and suffering. Without God, who determines what is right and wrong? Who determines what is just and unjust? You know, suffering has always been one of the biggest challenges, really, for Christians to wrestle with, one of the biggest challenges to the Christian faith. You know, why is God allowing this? I don't know. I don't know. And and that's difficult. And it's okay. It, It should be difficult. And it's okay for it to be difficult. But suffering 
is a much bigger problem. It's a far bigger problem for those who don't believe in God. Because if there's no God, well, well, so what if the strong oppress and devour the weak? So what? That's just natural, isn't it? Survival of the fittest. What's wrong with that? What, what is wrong? What, what, why does it matter when people suffer and die? Why does that matter? It's just natural. It's just what happens. So why are you outraged by it? And yet we are. Christians and those who are not Christians, we are outraged. We are troubled by injustice and by suffering. Because we all know inherently, deep down, we all know that life does have meaning, that we do have meaning. We have significance. We're made in the image of God. That confers on us as humans enormous dignity, enormous significance because of God. We have a sense of justice and right and wrong because of God. But if your outrage at suffering, at injustice is a reason for not believing in God, we have to realise that your outrage is only really attributable to there being a God in the first place. So yes, suffering is a problem for Christians, but it's actually a far bigger problem for those who don't believe in God. In verse 25, the psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? If I don't have God, and I'm speaking personally here, if I don't have God, I have nothing. I have lots of good things in my life, but if I don't have God... I have nothing. And yes, there may be times when my foothold feels shaky and it feels like my feet are slipping, but it's far more slippery where you're standing if you don't believe in God, if you don't have God. What, whatever it is you're living for, if you live for beauty or for your health, well, those things are going to slip away. There's nothing you can do about it. If you live for money, well, we know, we can see at the moment how uncertain that is. Uh, and how how that can let you down. If you live for success, well, success is only ever temporary. If you live for family, well, your family will let you down in the end. People die. Uh, You know, if you don't have God, you have nothing because everything that is under your feet is slipping away. Every foothold that you are relying on to hold you up will crumble in the end. So it's important to doubt. Where you have doubts about God, it's important to doubt those doubts. And then the other thing, and this is what I'll finish with, that this psalm shows us about dealing with doubt comes in verse 17. And the whole of this psalm turns on this moment in verse 17, which says, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. The psalmist chooses to enter the temple, the the place of God's presence, the place of, of worship, the place of encountering God. Everything changes for him and in his perspective of the situation when he encounters God. Because just as you don't get into doubt purely through thinking, there's always some personal experience involved, well, you don't get out of doubts purely by thinking. You need to encounter God. You need to engage your your senses with God through singing, through praying, through meeting with God's people, which obviously is, is a bit more difficult at the moment. But I remember when I'd been away in my early 20s, I'd been away for a year in France, and uh, I came back to church, and I just... I just felt that my heart had gone cold and I felt uncomfortable at church. And I just really drifted from God in that time. And, and it really shocked me. And the thing is, though, is I knew what was true. I knew that I had encountered God in the past. I knew that I had experienced his love. I knew that I had been baptized when I was 18. And all the things I did and said on that day were true. And I meant them. And it was no less true because of how I was feeling 
now because of the coldness of heart I was experiencing. So I decided that I was going to go to every worship service, to every prayer meeting. I was going to lift my hands in worship and lift my hands in prayer, even when I didn't feel like it. Not to be a hypocrite, but because I knew what was true and I knew I needed to engage with God. I needed to encounter God in order to to warm my heart again. And I did encounter him in that time. Praise God. And, And what I was feeling caught up with what I knew to be true. And if you're sceptical about God, let me encourage you to actively seek him. Actively seek him. Live as though he exists. Pray for a period of time. Just just decide for the next month. Pray as if God exists, even if you're not sure if he does. And just see what he does. Just see what he does. I would say go to church as well, but obviously that's not so easy at the moment. So keep tuning in online and then go to church when it's possible and be among God's people. Because it is an encounter with God that will change your life. That's what changed my life. It's what's changed the lives of many people watching this at the moment. And it was once the psalmist had encountered God that he was able to say in verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. He was able to look back and see God had been with him through all of this. God had been holding his hand through all of these doubts. My feet slipped. I nearly fell but I didn't fall. I didn't fall because you had a hold of my right hand. He entered the temple, the the place of God's presence, the place of encounter, and the temple was also the place of sacrifice for sins. And at that time, it was an imperfect sacrifice that was always meant to point towards the perfect and lasting eternal sacrifice of Jesus. That is the guarantee of God's love for you. It's the guarantee of being able to come into his presence. It's only through the blood of Jesus and through the sacrifice of Jesus that you can encounter God. And there's a song that we're going to sing together in just in just a minute that has a line in it that says, when darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. And sometimes that's what doubt feels like, that this cloud has come in, this darkness has come in and hides God's face, blocks his light, blocks his love from you. But God doesn't hide his face from you. He doesn't do that. How can you know that? How can you be certain that God will not hide his face from you? Well, only because he did hide his face from the only person in history who was completely faithful to him. Because on the cross, Jesus experienced the greatest pain, the greatest disorientation that anybody has ever experienced. On the cross, God really did let go of Jesus' hand. He he let him slip. He let him fall. And on the cross, he gave him what we deserve in our place. He gave him what all doubters deserve so that all of us doubters can know that in spite of all that we do and all that we think, God will never, ever let go of your hand. He will never let you go. That punishment, that consequence was completely taken by Jesus on the cross. So we never have to go through that. He got everything that we deserve so that we can be given everything that he deserves. That is just the wonderful and amazing grace of God. And so when darkness seems, when it appears to hide his face, you can rest on his unchanging and incredible, amazing grace. And as we sing that song, 
together now. We're going to worship together now. As we sing that song, just use this as an opportunity to declare truth, even if you're feeling something different. Use it as an opportunity to take your doubts to him, to to doubt your doubts, to, to seek an encounter with God, to enter the temple, to enter into the presence of God. Let's worship him together now.